Before I read, I'd like to pray. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, you who are the Word of God, come. Open our eyes that we might see, open our ears that we might hear, and open our hearts and minds that we might understand and respond to your word today. Amen. We're reading from Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 16. Um, It's on page 1112 in the Pew Bibles if you wish to follow it. Um, Last week we heard of Paul and his companions crossing into Europe and um, settling in Philippi for a while and preaching the gospel. We now hear where things get a little tougher for them, to put it mildly. So once, says Luke, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit in her by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling, and she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is the word of the Lord.
Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's very good to be here at Christchurch Basin Hill. Thank you very much for the invitation uh, to join you for worship today. I know I'm coming back again because there's a confirmation in a couple of weeks, isn't there? And we've got the small matter of an interview in between. So that's good. We'll get to know, like the family, get to know each other again. But thank you. Um, the readings, the reading today, um, it really is about the costly call of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul and Silas have gone on this missionary journey. It's Paul's second missionary journey to witness to Jesus Christ, check on the churches where Paul first went. And they're beaten by rods, they're flogged, they're thrown into jail. They're manacled uh, by their feet um, in the stocks. Being a witness is very close to the word for, that we get for martyr. Um, witness in Greek means it's marturion, uh, which we get the word martyr. So being a witness and being a martyr go together. I'm not sure we quite experience that in the Western world. Um, I am the product of late Christendom here in the West where the church has been quite comfortable and yet also slightly ineffective in its witness over the past 70 years. And in the West, we've not really seen the persecutions or martyrdoms since the dissenting church in Germany when they stood up against Hitler during the Second World War, people like Bonhoeffer and Kolbe. But today in other parts of the world we are extremely aware of many Christian communities suffering for their faith. Churches in Pakistan being burnt to the ground with the Christian worshippers inside. Christian children being kidnapped and killed in Nigeria. And then in the Middle East where Christians are being beheaded, stoned and crucified for witnessing to their faith in Jesus Christ. But you know, if you read the scriptures, you shouldn't be surprised. The New Testament highlights the cost of discipleship and most of the original 12 disciples died for their faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 35 to 38, is quite stark in describing the horrors that many followers of Jesus suffered. It says this, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world were not worthy. 
And paradoxically, such suffering is often linked with the growth of the church, both numerical and spiritual. In Acts chapter 6, the persecution of the church leads to the following followers of the way departing Jerusalem. I just knew that was coming. I was waiting for the intake of breath. It's quite a delay there. It wasn't like a bomb going off. Anyway, but Acts chapter 6, um, when the church is persecuted and they disperse, don't they? Um, they go away from Jerusalem to all parts of the world. Of course, they take the gospel with them. The good news of Jesus Christ gets spread further in times of turmoil and trouble. And you'll know that in the 1990s, and late 1990s, the Anglican church in Nigeria grew by 150% while it was being persecuted. I've just recently returned from uh, Melanesia. Um, the Solomon Islands, it's sort of a group of islands to the north east of Brisbane, Australia. So you get to Brisbane, and then you take a three-hour flight northeast um, for you. Um, and a group of islands where population is about 500,000. And missionaries from this country took the gospel there in 1840-50. And they're now 95% Christian in Melanesia and I was trying to explain to them how Christendom had rather disappeared from where we were and if I went to a church school like they had secondary church school 500 people I said half the children wouldn't know who Jesus Christ is they could not believe that because we took the faith to them they look to us as the bearers of the Christian faith and I said no we need you to come back to us now to retell the Christian story and don't do what we've done don't forget to pass on your faith to your children and your grandchildren because we forgot to do it and now we're suffering the whirlwind of that. Anyway, out in Melanesia, they have the, the heartbeat of the church is these four orders, the Melanesian brothers, the Franciscans, the sisters of the church and Melanesian sisters. And they're all, how can I say, it's like a three-year gap year Young people commit themselves to serve God, chastity, poverty, obedience, and serve their community um, for the gospel. And at the end of three years, they can then renew their vows and stay on, or they can leave and go off and get married, get jobs, or what have you. But you've therefore got hundreds of people who have been immersed in the gospel, who get up at five o'clock every morning, worship for two hours, then go out and serve. And this is now infiltrating their community and their society and having a massive difference. Twelve years ago, there was real strife in Melanesia, tribal battles, people were being killed. And the Melanesian brothers were seen as the honest brokers to try and bring peace and reconciliation. And in the process, seven of them were martyred. Seven of them got um, imprisoned they were flogged and then they were shot by their captors. But it was their martyrdom that actually brought the country to its senses and helped bring the healing that they needed. So I've just returned from them and I was thinking of what those words that Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. 
the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Certainly, costly discipleship for people in many parts of the world. The Melanesian brothers, the thing about Melanesia, when they went and took the gospel there, um, people like uh, Bishop Selwyn, who came to be the bishop here, when people became Christian, then they used them as missionaries. So the Melanesians went to be missionaries in Papua New Guinea. And Charles Fox recounts this story. Um, he said he was dropping off two brothers at a heathen village to evangelize them. He said this, I took them ashore and I rode back to the Southern Cross, our mission ship. I watched these two young men standing there with nothing but their haversacks among a heathen people of whose language they knew not a word, who might easily kill or starve them after we'd gone. They were a thousand miles from their own homes and they knew that the mission ship would not come back for a whole year. But a year later we found them standing there on the shore and this time with 20 of the people prepared for baptism. And after some years there were several hundred Christians there. What courage it would take to go a thousand miles from your home to stand in a country where you didn't know the language and they were known for killing people who came. I mean, what courage there was to witness. Bishop George Selwyn said this, missionaries must be ready to put their lives in their hands, go out to preach the gospel to others with no weapon but prayer and with no refuge but God. Well, the Bible and Christian witness down the centuries is clear about the cost of discipleship. And in a way, our reading today talks about that with what happens to Paul and Silas. And maybe there are some marks of discipleship that we can learn and draw out from this passage. I'm just going to draw out two. One is that of hospitality. Um, the welcoming of and care for the stranger the resident alien, the immigrant, the newcomer to our village. Before and after this passage of scripture that we had read from Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are invited to stay at Lydia's home. Now in welcoming Paul and Silas to her home, Lydia not only welcomed those who are outsiders and strangers to Philippi, but more, they are Jews and she's a Gentile. They're men, she's a woman. She is a businesswoman of means. They are people who have no visible means of support. Hospitality means welcoming the other, people not like us. It's a challenge. I also note the Philippian jailer. After he's received the teaching of Paul about Jesus and then comes to faith, the jailer opens up his home to these traveling teachers and who happen to be prisoners. Imagine welcoming prisoners. About 10 years ago, I came home from work. I was missionary in Devon, and we lived up on Dartmoor. Um, and um, my wife, when I got through the door, she said, oh, by the way, we've got a visitor. I said, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's just come out of prison. 
and, um, and he's not got anywhere to stay, he can't get a job. So I hope you don't mind, I said he can stay and he's staying the night. I said, that's fine, but you know we're going out. Oh, are we? Yes. So um, it was fine. Um, we left John in the house, but I remember thinking as we were going out for the evening, I wonder how much is going to be left in the house when we get back. I know that sounded very unthinkable. I thought the family silver, the heirlooms, the video, the telly, what have you. Um, so we went out for the night, came back, everything absolutely fine. John was so bowled over to be offered the, um, the, the warmth of the house and a bed for the night. In fact, it was very funny because he, he, um, he even offered me, he had two coats and he gave me one of his coats because he saw mine was such a rubbish coat. <laughs> Uh, so I wore his coat for the next five years around um, Exeter Cathedral. But welcoming prisoners, welcoming people not like us, not from our background, our ethnicity, our social class, that is actually quite a challenge. It's not like, you know, facing suffering or persecution, but it's one of the marks of discipleship. Churches that have a hospitable spirit a Christian fellowship of koinonia, of welcome, are very attractive. It's good that we here at this church, it's very obvious, you know, we know what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we sing about it, we worship fully, and we go into learning. But actually, it's important to have fuzzy boundaries, open boundaries, so people can come in and search. People who haven't got it, not that we've got it all sussed, we haven't, of course we haven't, but there's a sense in which people can explore Newcomers, people not like us, help people find a way in. Can we be a hospitable church in that way? And the second point that comes out of this is about how we witness the good news in the community and how we, um, I suppose, stand up for justice and liberation. Because while staying with Lydia in Philippi, Paul and Silas attract the attention of a demon-possessed slave girl, as we heard in the reading. And her owners, they're exploiting her disorder for profit. Paul and Silas, they represent both threat and hope. Threat to the power of the demon, but hope to the girl herself. Hope of liberation from the demon and from her owners and their exploitation of her vulnerability and disorder. And it's funny how Paul, I mean, all the time she's going around saying, here, these are people of God, listen to them, There's, you know, etc. if you want to be saved. But in the end, Paul gets so brassed off because someone's talking while he's talking. Shut up! He turns around and casts out the demon, and she's free. And the girl is restored, she's in her right mind, she's liberated. But her... Their teaching, Paul and Silas, has interfered with the slave owner and their trade. And there are, of course, consequences. We don't hear what happens to the girl, but the owners of the slave girls bring trumped-up charges against Paul and Silas. Because for them, Paul and Silas have committed commercial vandalism. They destroy their avenue for profit. Paul and Silas are dragged to the marketplace. They're flogged, they're beaten with rods, and then they're jailed for their public ministry. Now, we don't have this yet, but you can see it on the horizon, what's going, you know, we can't even show the Lord's Prayer in a cinema, what's going on here? 
you know, it's not, I'm not saying around the corner, but we need to be aware um, that there might be a, a real cost to standing up to our faith in the public square. Standing up for the weak too, so they are no longer exploited, is a steady theme of biblical faith. I wonder what the church's prophetic ministry might be for us here in Shropshire. And where are we standing up for the least and those who are unable to speak for themselves? How are we sharing the good news in the community? Well, I'm not sure that I'm cut out to be a martyr. I'm just not made that way. But how can we be faithful witness, witnesses like those holy disciples who've gone before us? Even knowing the truth of the resurrection, that God is going to be, I'm going to be with God forever. To be honest, I am afraid of physical violence. As a young person, I would ha often have dreams where I was in the middle of a battle or a fight. I wonder if any of you ever had these dreams. I asked the nine o'clock lot that no one said. It was obviously just me. In my dreams, in a battle or a fight, I'm always hiding behind a rock or in the bushes or pretending that I'm dead. I am never the hero standing up bravely to defend the weak. I'd love to do that, but I just never am. In my dreams, my true self, I am not cut out to be a martyr. At heart, I am a coward. So where's my hope? Well, it's this. It's looking at the other disciples who all fled in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane at the first sign of danger. And yet, they went on to witness faithfully and courageously for Jesus later in their lives. And think about Peter especially, who denied that he knew Jesus three times at his trial. Just a few hours before at the Last Supper, he'd been boasting, hadn't he? Jesus, I will never leave you. I'll never desert you. And But he did. The cock crowed twice. And he remembered and he went out and wept bitterly. But following the resurrection, the risen Jesus meets Peter. He forgives him and he restores him and he puts him back together again. This is my hope. If he can do that for Peter, and if Peter at the end of his life as he did stood up for the persecuted Christians in Rome and even was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus, he wasn't worthy, then maybe he can help me be brave and courageous too. The story of cowardly Peter becoming brave gives me hope that I'll be able to do the right thing at the right time. Faithful witnesses like Paul and Silas they are not superheroes. They are ordinary human beings like you and me, disciples of Jesus, who witnessed in extraordinary ways. And they did it by putting their trust in the one who is faithful, relying on God's Holy Spirit and comforter. So may we learn to do the same and grow into his likeness. 
And I'd just like to finish by saying, I realize this church has had quite a tumultuous time this past year. You've been through quite a lot. And thank you for your faithfulness in sticking with the learning and the growing and hospitality. And I am praying with many of you that we will find the person of God's choosing to be your next pastor and leader. But thank you for the way you've held together, supported one another, and looked to do the right thing for the sake of God's church. May God bless you in your witness. Amen.